Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Sitting here with Thomas P. Dorian and Sam Ziggy Rodriguez. Present. I'm here too. You guys sound so excited. <laughs> I'm something. excited. How can you not be excited? You, you must here. have just cast your paychecks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh wait, there aren't any. Uh, so anyway, we're, I'm, I'm, we're, I'm excited today. We because, can tell. Uh, well, I love, like, the the Catholic Cafe is always the place to be on a feast day. Oh, yes. When we have a feast to celebrate, because it means we've got extra fluffy pancakes, right? We've got extra rich and dark chocolate cake, and we have all the good stuff. All of it. Because it's a feast day. And so we, the the feast we're talking about is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Oh, yeah. And the, and the cafe is extra clean today. That's exactly. It's immaculate. When you look around, it is good. indeed immaculate. Very Not good. the souls of our, you know, wait staff. But still, you know, we, we have hopes. <laughs> Why couldn't the health department visit today? Why not? No, that's a good, that's a good question. So I guess, the, you know, first we should start defining terms. Yes. So that as our listeners are going like, I know what that is. You know, and uh, the thing is, it was it was funny because I think a lot of people mistakenly think that the Immaculate Conception refers specifically to Jesus's conception. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> that's so wrong. That's if we had a buzzer in the Catholic cafe, it would go off because um, it's not it's not Jesus's con, uh, conception. It's the conception of Mary right. in her mother's womb, and essentially what our um, church teaches the dogma as it was proclaimed in 1854, right, by Pope Pius IX, right, mm-hmm. number nine. I think he had something with the Beatles album. I'm not sure. Beatles, no, no, maybe not. Um, and his, his proclamation, the wording is thus. The most blessed Virgin Mary was, from the very first moment of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, Preserved, immune from all stain of original sin. There you go, right? That's that, that's it. That says it all. And a lot of people are like, "What is the big deal?" And so we're. I think a good show for us would be like, "What is the big deal? Mm-hmm. Why do we care? Why is it even important for me to consider all this stuff?" What is the deal? Yeah, what's the deal? Exactly <laughs> the right. Conception. Well, you know, because I know when I've talked to some of my Protestant friends. You know, they are quick to point some things out, especially as it appears that Catholic teaching would contradict Scripture. Right. Right, because if we go to St. Paul's letter to the Romans, the third chapter, for there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are justified by His grace as a gift to the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as an expiation by His blood to be received by faith. Okay, so for... All have sinned. And they look at me like going, and then they say it like that. All, it's like a southern guy, you know, all of a sudden everybody gets real southern. It's like, all have sinned. Doesn't that include Mary? You know, and then also, likewise, when we look at uh, Luke chapter one, right, Mary admits that she needs a savior. Why would she need a savior? If she, she was if she, right, if she was sinless, right? She says, "My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior." Right? She says that, and so it's like, well, 
Why does she need a savior? So we're going to talk first about that. Like, so that first verse from Romans. Mm-hmm. So, in in that situation, Paul is talking. He's writing a letter to the Romans, and and it's important to understand when Paul was writing these letters. You know, he wasn't sitting there going, I'm writing a Bible. Check me. I'm writing a Bible. Mm-hmm. He's writing letters to the church at Rome mm-hmm. and to at Ephesus and in Corinth. He's writing letters back and forth, back and forth. And those churches collected those letters. And as the church has realized, these are all divinely inspired. He's essentially, you know, a prophet. He's writing with divine inspiration, Right. And so that's why we have them collected in now in the New Testament of the Bible, his letters, the epistles of Paul. So he wasn't writing to say that, um, I want to make sure we cover all the bases and we write this instruction that everybody's going to now be reading this as if they're reading the Bible. And so when he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, does that also mean that he would include, let's say, people with uh, mental incapacities? Right or, or or a baby, a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. Look at that little sinner. Look at that baby <laughs> sinning. Baby just looked at me funny, you know. And I understand that we would all agree that those they had original sin, but to say all have sinned means mm-hmm. that's an action on the part of that person. So you're right. telling me a baby sins, mm-hmm. and then all necessarily would also include the Son of Man. Mm-hmm. Is he saying that Jesus sinned? So you start to realize, well, okay, but there are exceptions. So when I said to my Protestant friend, I said, does that mean Jesus is a sinner too? Well, of course not. Well, I know, of course not, but does that not say all have sinned? Well, so have I shown you that, that there are exceptions to his statement? So I think Paul is more probably saying that all you Romans, <laughs> you people there in your church, you church peoples, you churchgoers, you're all sinners. We're all sinners. Let's admit it. We're all sinners. He's talking to the people who have sinned. Mm-hmm. He's not talking like in 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 a in a scientific way, like in terms of data. It's figurative, right? So, and then at the same time, this idea that Mary announces to the world that she requires a savior, right? It's like because that's where he thought he had me. Okay, but Mary says she needs a savior. It's like, well, she does, and this is why it's beautiful. I read that first the proclamation, the dogmatic proclamation that Pope Pius IX did in 1854. And it says right here, it's like, uh, I'll just look at it again in terms of what it says, but the Most Blessed Virgin Mary was, from the very first moment of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God and by the virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ. So, mm-hmm. because of Jesus' action on the cross, which had not linearly taken place in time, because Jesus is out of time, right. but by the grace of the merits of him on the cross, I know it's confusing and everyone's going like, wait, stop, you pulled the car over the side of the road going like, Deacon Jeff has got me now backwards and upside down, I don't understand, I'm looking at my watch, it's going backwards, you know, and it's like, no, by great, but, but it's like Jesus' grace and at, by a singular grace of Almighty God. So God said, it's like he put his finger on Mary at her conception. Boop. You know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you are now graced. Mm-hmm. Right? And I love the word that's in the Bible. Kikaritomene? No, no. Kikaritomene. You're not doing it right. Or maybe I'm not doing it right. I'm not going to get the... you said off the air earlier, kikaritomene. 
Carrot Cake Mania. So if you if you purchase the special at the Catholic Cafe today, Carrot Cake for ninety nine cents. That's exactly right. So uh, yeah, so Kikarito Mania. It's the Greek word essentially that just means having been graced. In in reality, that's the word from where we get hail full of grace or hail highly favored one. It doesn't feel like you're my favorite. It doesn't mean that. It means having been graced. Well, and it's the same tense. That uh, <clears throat> that Jesus uses when he says it is written, right? And so what that means is when he says it is written, he's talking about the eternal truths revealed in Scripture. It was, is, and always will be true. It is written in the same way. She, when when the angel Gabriel greets her in time prior to the Annunciation, yeah. he's saying to her, "You who were." are and always will be fully graced, overflowing with grace. How is that possible unless there was a singular grace afforded to her? Amen. And and that's why we will love the translation, full of grace. Mm. To be filled with grace means you're brimming over. You're you're full. Yes. There's no room for anything else, right? No room for evil, no room for sin, no room for doubt, no room for anything like that. But it's full of grace. You're filled with grace. Right, and so that is, the, and and that happened from her conception, right in her mother's womb, and and so now it's like, well, why, why do we Catholics care, and why is that important? So there's some practical reasons I think you can look at uh, and see, and one is I think it's because that Mary was prepared by God mm-hmm. from her very beginning to be the conduit, right through which the salvation of the world. Would be born. Yeah. So it's like this idea that, all right, I've got to make a superhighway, you know, from heaven to earth. And that superhighway is Mary. And so God, knowing this, prepares her, right? Prepares her for that by preserving her from the stain of all sin, Mm -hmm. right? Original sin, stain of original sin, and then protecting her, keeping her from sin. So this idea that Mary would announce that she needs a savior. Right is not confusing. I, I saw uh, Steve Ray did a neat uh, Footprints of God series. He did, and he showed, he demonstrated. Like, imagine that that there that sin is this muddy hole, right? This 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 hole filled with mud in the pathway, mm-hmm. and that if you walk, you fall into sin, right? You fall in there. But if you're walking along that path, and someone puts their arm out and stops you from falling in, they become your savior. They saved you from mm-hmm. that sin, right? But still, but you didn't fall in, but they saved you from falling in, right? Right. So, so she needs a savior. She needed the merits of God, the merits of Jesus Christ, to preserve her from the stain of original sin, right. so that she would be prepared to bring Jesus into the world. Right, and so, and also think about this. This is this is a little more. This is a little more deep, and it's a little more, a uh, little Hebrew theology mm. here. But God, all along the way, has always taught the Jews about ritual cleanliness. Mm-hmm. Right, this idea of being clean. Mm-hmm. Right, and remember the lepers, unclean, unclean. You know, there's this to be unclean was not good. And so, if you're going to be doing, uh, if if you were the high priest going into the holy of holies, you would take the ritual bath, the mitzvah bath. You would take. To, to, as a ritual cleansing on the way into the Holy of Holies so that as you offered the sacrifice that you were clean. 
right? And so you'd see like these priests who were who were coming to or from Jerusalem who wouldn't be able to interact with the Sumerians or someone who was unclean because it would make them ritually unclean and they couldn't offer the sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? So is that just them being? Um, are they just extremely OCD about tidiness? Are Jews just extremely tidy people, or has God been teaching them like, look, you don't want your sinfulness to corrupt the divine. Mm-hmm. Rather, you want the divine to wash over the sinfulness. And so that's a beautiful image. And so this is why we, we, we see we, don't, we want Mary to be clean. She's to be uh, pure, mm-hmm. right, so that it doesn't corrupt the divine, which we know would not, was, is, is incorruptible. But the point is we don't handle the divine in an unclean way. Right. And, and that we would allow the divine into the world then to, to cleanse the world. Right to mm-hmm. to wash over our sinfulness, so it's kind of a neat way to look at that and to realize um, where all that stuff comes from. We have so much more to talk about here on the Immaculate Conception on our feast day. We're going to wolf down some carrot cake during the break. Uh, like before, maniacs, <laughs> that's exactly right. Before we do that, I want to remind folks at home we got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, we'd like them to do what, Sam? I would like us to we'd like them to please uh, like us on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter, and to please share our posts and comments because it makes a difference. Yeah, amen. It makes a difference. And also, if you'd like to get in touch with me, send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. With that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. When you think of saints, you often think of saintly qualities like patience, love, humility, and generosity. Not so with St. Jerome, a priest and doctor of the church born in the mid-4th century. On more than a few occasions, St. Jerome stood outside the church doors doing penance for his bad temper. While this was true, more than anything he was a staunch defender of the truth and an ardent lover of the Word of God. He felt that anyone who taught error was an enemy of God to be defeated with the swift and sure strokes of his powerful pen. St. Jerome was a scholar of great wisdom and understanding. He was a master of Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, and he spent many years in study in the celebrated centers of scholarship like Rome and Alexandria. He was a great student of sacred learning because he realized its vital role in obtaining the beatific vision. He once said, Let us learn upon earth those things which can call us to heaven. Sometimes feared for his veracity, but always known to be a genuine man of God, St. Jerome was respected by his peers. St. Augustine said of him, What Jerome does not know, no mortal man has ever known. He was very prolific in his writings. Above all, his scriptural writings have been without equal in the history of the church. St. Jerome is most remembered for his translation of the Bible into the common or vulgar language of the people, making it more accessible to the common people. Called the Vulgate, his vigilant and meticulous translation was very popular and became the standard version of the Bible for over a thousand years. Many who question the authority of the Church like to point to the fact that St. Jerome openly opposed the inclusion of the seven deuterocanonical books in the official canon of the Bible. While this is true, as he rarely held his opinions to himself, 
few people realize that ultimately St. Jerome recognized, upheld, and defended the authority of Holy Mother Church in defining the canon and placed the books in their rightful place in the Bible. In 402 AD, St. Jerome wrote regarding this issue, What sin have I committed if I follow the judgment of the churches? At the end of his life, St. Jerome finally settled in Bethlehem, where he lived in a cave believed to be the birthplace of Jesus. He died there in 420 AD. His feast day is September 30th. I'm Bess Drozimski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Ziggy and Patrick, and we're talking about Patrick. <laughs> Tom Dorian. His middle name day. Tom, 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 Dorian, Dorian, Dorian. Uh, and so we are, um, we are talking about the Immaculate Conception. We are indeed. And, w- and this is a wonderful feast day. It is right? indeed. We just had Kakari uh, Tomania. I'm sorry, Carrot Cake, Cake Mania. Mania. And we are uh, we're going to talk some more about this concept of Mary being without sin, like yeah. her conceived without the stain of original sin. So uh, here's here's one place I want to go, and 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 uh, this is kind of neat. Now we have a whole show. Remember our Anaphaneo show? I do. Right. So Anaphaneo is a that Greek word. That ultimately means uh, you know cried out in a loud voice, and when Luke used that, um, when he was referring to Elizabeth crying out in a loud voice at Mary's arrival, mm-hmm. um, it was only used there. And then in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, it, it only it referred to David. the passing by of the uh, of the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. So Luke chose the word that would make us think that Mary is the new Ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. right? Or the Ark of the New Covenant. So the thing is, Mary being the new Ark, then we compare Mary to the old Ark. Mm-hmm. I mean, Luke causes us to do that. And so I want to go back to where um, Luke compares Mary to that Ark. And, and, and we go back to Exodus chapter 25, mm-hmm. and we find out about the construction of the Ark. Very detailed. It's very detailed, certainly, but... But the, let's let's look at um, or Nate Exodus twenty five verses eight through eleven, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst according to all that I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle, and of all its furniture. So you shall make it. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length. A cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Within and without you shall overlay it, and you shall make it upon a molding of gold round about. Okay, so God is very specific about how he wants this ark made. Mm -hmm. Luke compares Mary to that ark. Mm -hmm. And so we look at a couple things about the construction. First, acacia wood. Acacia wood is a wood that's extremely hard. And it's impervious to infestation because it's so hard Mm. that little buggies can't eat into it. They can't bore into can't it. Decay. Right, it doesn't decay. And so it's uh, it's hard and solid, right? Mm-hmm. But also pure gold. It has to be pure gold. And it's it's an overlay, but it's within and without. Now, when you look at that, you realize there's a comparison that, that Mary is pure inside and out. Mm-hmm. 
right? Her soul is pure. She's beautiful on the outside, but she's pure inside as well. Um, and so there's her, her sexual purity, and then there's her interior soul purity, right? Mm-hmm. They're connected, mm-hmm. right? An, an overlay of a pure gold inside and out. And then also her, she remains sinless simply because impervious to sinful inf- infestation, right? That her, that acacia wood of her soul, <laughs> right, doesn't allow, uh, you know, Satan to bore in there mm-hmm. with his little demons, right? And so it's kind of neat to see that and see that, um, that, that connection, but we can we can also like sort of extrapolate that to see um like there are types for mary actually in our churches right mm-hmm. you heard in exodus god referring to his dwelling as the tabernacle mm-hmm. well what do we have in our churches tabernacle right in our catholic churches back behind the altar hopefully in the center you have a tabernacle and the one that we have at St. Louis uh, Parish spectacular it's spectacular it's beautiful it's it's gold overlaid on the outside and I don't know how many people have actually gone up close to a tabernacle and had the opportunity to look inside it. Mm. Not everyone does. Mm. And when I do like uh, second graders, when I'm teaching about First Communion and taking them through classes, I take them up there one by one and we're very reverent and respectful. And I take the key and I open the tabernacle and I allow them to peer in. And it's their, their reaction is just like, oh. They lose their breath because they never get to see that. Mm-hmm, right. And what they see is it's like you see, um, you know, the ciborium in there that contains the blessed sacrament. So we genuflect. And then they look around and you see like it looks like an infinite number of ciboria because there's reflecting on right. the walls, which are gold. So we have like cold uh, lining our walls inside the tabernacle. Not all tabernacles can do this. Some of them are, you know, have really fine cloths and things in there. But. We have one that's gold on the outside and gold on the inside. And so I see that really as a type for Mary. Oh, yeah. That in the tabernacle, right? There's a, it's literally a type for Mary. Now, there's another type for Mary, if you stop and think about it. Why do we think it's important? Why does the church make it a law, a rule, the way we do things in determining what kind of sacred vessels we have? The church says we have to have precious metals. It can't be a Dixie cup. Because they're it touching can't be the body stomach. of Christ. Well, so it's that's true, right? And so there's respect for what we touch. But if you stop and think about it, if you're talking about pure gold or silver or titanium or platinum or some really, uh, no, maybe not titanium, That's but, but the point is you look at that uh, a beautiful polished you know, vessel, mm. and then that's what we are confecting Eucharist in. That's what we're distributing Eucharist in. And the church says no wood, no glass. No pottery. This mm-hmm. is what it's it's and because there's a connection to Mary and her purity, and so that pure precious metal is mm-hmm. what becomes the conduit of the body and blood of Jesus, right? The sacred host and the and the and the precious blood coming to us mm-hmm. through this this pure vessel, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just because it's our finest stuff, and it's right. nice. It we do lay out the good stuff for the king. Right, and that's that's important to see that. But I always see that as like a type for Mary. It's like a it's a vessel that contains uh, contains that. And then the, and the last one I would add in regards to being in our church, there's also a type for Mary in each one of us. Oh, in, in ourselves. And think about this for a second. When we receive our Lord in the Eucharist, we become a tabernacle. Wow. That's true. So yeah. this is why the church cares about the state in which we receive. It's why the scriptures tell us 
that don't receive un- in an unworthy manner, right? St. Paul says, don't bring condemnation on yourself. It's why the priest prays that in the Eucharistic prayer to himself, let this not bring me condemnation, mm-hmm. right? That the state of my soul needs to be uh, prepared, purified. Mm-hmm. And so the church says, go to confession. Go to confession before you receive Eucharist. Be in a state of grace, right? Having been graced. Be your own sort of kikaritomene or kerikakemania, I want to be clear. <laughs> be, be in a state of grace to receive the Lord, to be the, to be the living tabernacle that you're called to be. You've got to be um, in, a, in a pure state in that sense, mm-hmm. right? And so you look at that and go like, wow, okay, so this immaculate conception, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Mm-hmm. And there's additional uh, biblical support for what you were saying related to the Ark, Mary being the Ark of the New Covenant and its link to her Immaculate Conception. And that is when John in the book of Revelation describes seeing the Ark of the Covenant in the sky, yeah. he immediately follows it saying that he, it was the woman with the crown that he saw. And, uh, you know, and there's no, it might break in our version of the Bible or at the end of Revelation 11. I saw a sign in the Going beginning of 12. 12. But that came later. John didn't say, ah, new chapter. Yeah, he that's essentially the that Middle break. Ages when those numbers were applied. Yes. John and, didn't write a break. Right. And so he saw the Ark of the Covenant, and it was a woman uh, and who was with child who had the crown. And the thing that's interesting is there's a dragon who's pursuing the woman, yeah. and he can't get to her. And it says specifically that the dragon... Uh, was, the dragon became angry with the woman because he couldn't get at her and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus. Hmm. You know, showing that's her us, right? Mo- that's us! <laughs> Mary, mother of Christians, I love it when I get us. mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> yes, that's so exactly. awesome. And we go back all the way back to the Proto-Evangelium, which we did a show on here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I mean, that's essentially about Jesus. And, and the her, the woman, is Mary. And the he, the, the, the first one, I'll put in between you, Satan, yes. right? And your offspring, between her and her offspring, Jesus. And we start to realize that she was protected from the very beginning Yes, right. and it, enmity, distance, great distance between Satan and the woman. And that's another type, that she's the new Eve. And Eve was did not have sin when she was created. She brought sin upon herself. And so for her to be the new Eve, she had to be conceived without sin. That's right. Mary was conceived without sin. She was sinless at the beginning. And then she remained. Right? So how beautiful that all those things are. And so this spend this time, this feast day, recognizing just the beautiful teaching of the Immaculate Conception, and then internalize it, let's go to confession. Let's be like Mary. Amen. Amen. And so let's ask our mother to watch over us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God, pray pray for for us sinners, sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, Send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.